Well, good morning. How are you feeling today? Ready? Excited? Good to go? I don't know if anybody else, but when Ruth said there's 15 more shopping days left, I felt this massive twinge of anxiety. And I was like, <gasps> I have a whole lot more to do before we get to the next 15 days. So um, thanks, Ruth, for just setting me off anxiously at the beginning of the service. I appreciate that. That's great. Thank you. Actually, for many years, I had this really weird tradition with my Christmas shopping, and I would like leave one gift that I knew I could find pretty easily. I would leave it to the very last day, so I would go out on Christmas Eve to find this particular gift, because I just loved being in the mall on Christmas Eve. I was like, this is amazing. I love, like, again, I love a crowd, I love being a part of something great, but I just love that feeling of the hustle and bustle and the joy and the excitement and just kind of being out there. Again, maybe I missed a little bit of the anxiety that others were experiencing, but again, I just love that sense of being together. And I think what I loved about it was that really fun gift of getting to watch a whole huge crowd of people and knowing all of these people are out buying something for somebody else. I think it's a fun part of our gifts, right? In our gifts, it's this offering of like sacrificial kind of a love, right? As we're buying gifts for the people around us, we're taking money that we could have spent on ourselves and we're choosing to spend it on somebody else. We're choosing to take time that seems so scarce and we're choosing to invest that in trying to find just the right thing that will express to the people around us that we see them, that we know them, that we care about them, that we love them. We want to affirm them. And I think a part of why this really resonates for me with Christmas is because right at the very heart of the Christmas story is this idea of self-sacrificial love, of God who is so passionate about his care for us that he would give himself freely to us. Again, that's why we're spending time through this Advent season to look at the really good gifts that Jesus gives. Again, we've talked about the gift of freedom that he gives to us so we can walk in greater wholeness and fullness. We've talked about this gift of joy that he gives to us, a joy that isn't crushed by the hard circumstances of life, but a joy that picks us up and carries us through the harsh realities that we may experience. And today, I'm really excited that we get a few minutes together to just look at and explore the idea that at Christmas, we get to receive and know the really good gift of God's love for us. A love that gives itself to us without boundaries. And today I'm going to preach from a passage that probably all of you know, and I've been a little bit nervous about this because my fear is that you're going to hear this passage and tune me out right away because you're all going to say, oh yeah, I know this. I'm through this. I'm beyond this. I understand this. But what I'm really praying for this morning is that the Holy Spirit would minister this passage to us in a really different way that we'd be able to see and know and understand the love of God in a fresh way because we recognize that what every one of us needs is an experience of the love of God, of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. Because every day we live in a culture that tells us that we're only as lovable as we are good-looking or we're only as lovable as we are powerful or incredible or everybody else thinks that we're great or we can produce amazing things. And the Scripture wants to tell us something different. Today, the scripture wants to reveal to us the reality that God loves us in an unconditional way. Based on the nature of his person and his being, he pours out this self-sacrificial love over us. And so as I'm preaching this morning, if you feel this temptation to tune me out and kind of move on and think, oh yeah, I know this part, again, I want to encourage you, just choose to stay present and just choose to stay engaged. And let's see how the Holy Spirit wants to meet with us. We're asking him to meet us today in a fresh expression of his love. So let's just pray for that as we start off. Father, we come to you and we thank you that your love for us is good. It is constant. It is free. It is self-sacrificial. Lord, I pray that you would move past our cynicism. Lord, would you move past our woundedness? Would you move past our shame? 
Would you move past today all of our defenses that would hinder us from being able to receive your love in a free and in an open way? Would you grant us, Jesus, today a fresh and a new capacity to see and to know the wonder of your unique love for us? Would the truth of your word break through all of the lies that we have believed? We proclaim the truth of Jesus in this place today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that this would be fresh and that this would be clear. We ask, Holy Spirit, that your presence would be over us and around us and within us, that you would shield us from every attack of darkness that would seek to steal or distract or to kill or to destroy. And that today we could just focus on the wonder of who you are and receive in a new way the goodness of your love. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of this season and the gift of these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we are looking at John 3, 16. Absolutely. All right, so say it with me if you know it, if you've got it memorized, recite it with me. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Awesome. Again, there's a range of translations here, so we're going to be okay. We still love each other. It's fine. Okay, this is an amazing passage. It's so rich. It's so deep. It's powerful for us. I just want us to spend you know, the next while together. Let's just walk through this passage together. It starts off with God. Again, for God so loved the world. And God is the supreme being. He's the glorious one who rules and reigns over all things. And for all of eternity, God has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect love and complete unity. And as an expression of his love, his glory, and his power, he created everything. And again, I know some of you are already saying, yeah, yeah, I know this, I know this. But let's just think for a minute about creation. Because in creation, we get this glimpse of the wonder and the power of God. Let's think just for a second about the sun. Again, the sun, every single second, the sun puts off an equivalent sort of amount of energy to about 10 billion hydrogen bombs going off. Again, we imagine and we know a little bit about the intensity and the power of one hydrogen bomb. Think about 10 billion of them going off every single second. It's amazing, it's mind-blowing. But then the sun is one star. And in our galaxy, a scientist will tell us that there's about two billion stars within our galaxy. So you imagine that every single second, about two billion times, 10 billion hydrogen bombs go off, that equivalent power every single second. But scientists will also tell us there's about 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. And so you've got this amazing concept. You've got 10 billion hydrogen bombs going off every single second, the equivalent power of that. Multiply it by about 2 billion stars per galaxy and multiply that by about 100 billion galaxies. And if that wasn't mind-blowing enough, you take that, that's every single second that kind of power is expended. And so every single second, multiply that by the length of time that this star has existed from the very beginning of when it was created, all the way through to when this star will finally be extinguished. And that's a, a hint of the wonder and the power that exists in God. A God who can simply speak, let there be light. And all of this pours out into existence. And every single second, he sustains the magnitude of all of this power throughout the known universe, pouring out and exploding again and again and again and again. It's an unlimited kind of power. 
But God isn't just overwhelmingly powerful. You see, you think about this, that God was moving and shaping and creating all of these things, and then on one planet, in one medium-sized galaxy, in one relatively small solar system, on one small planet, God comes down and reaches down and picks up some of the dust of the earth. And then in his hands, he takes and forms and fashions and shapes and creates something like himself, something in his own image. And in a unique act of love, he forms and crafts this being. And then he comes close, face to face, right together with this thing that he has created. And in a powerful act of love, he breathes his life into it. His own breath pours into it and it comes to life. And humanity is formed. In love, he gives humanity this wonderful, beautiful world that he's created with an abundance of anything and everything that it can need to live unhindered and whole and open and free and completely unashamed. And every single day, God shows up in the evening to just walk with his creation in the garden to just spend time with them, hearing about what their day has been like, expressing his own heart to them, living in an unhindered kind of intimacy, this beautiful gift of love, like the infinitely perfect parent walking out a loving relationship with his children. And this is a beautiful expression of the love of God. And do you know today that this is how God loves you? Do you recognize today that before you were ever born, God formed and fashioned and shaped the uniqueness of who you are while you were in your mother's womb? He took time and effort and energy to craft who you are. With delight, he fashioned your stature and parts of your appearance. He looked at you with a profound sense of joy. And somewhere along this journey, he looked closely at you face to face and breathed his own breath into you, and you came to life. And every single day, God delights to spend time with you. Every single day, he wants to walk with you and hear about your day and express his heart to you. He has a parent's perfect capacity to love you and to care for you, and he desires to walk every single day with you. Do you recognize that this is the depth and the reality of how God loves you? The uniqueness of his care for you. You're not just one in a crowd that he randomly sees every now and then. You're someone that he has uniquely designed in his image for his glory. He has a unique care and capacity for you. Again, this is how God formed and shaped us. But he chose also to give each one of us the capacity to choose. Because any real and genuine love has to have the ability to choose not to love in response. And so God gave us this gift, this gift to choose to love him or not to love him. And he put this together by saying to us, I will give you everything that you need in an over and an abundant kind of way, but there's one tree in all the creation, all the known universe, there's one thing I'm asking you not to do as your choice to choose to live in relationship with me. Don't eat the fruit of this particular tree. And in a moment of horrifying greed and rebellion, we reached out, we took the fruit, we ate of this tree, and instantly the beautiful intimacy of our relationship with God fractured. Because God is perfectly holy. It means that nothing sinful or destructive or damaging or evil or wicked or wrong has any part of relationship with him because he is so infinitely perfect. 
And we who had been created to live every single day through all of eternity with God in a complete intimacy with him, fractured in this relationship, and death poured out into our lives and into our world and into our universe. And it's poured out through those first people into every single one of us because we chose to separate ourselves from God. And God is the source of all light and goodness and hope, and he is the source of all life. And so we came into this kind of existence where every single one of us would die. And the death that we experience here on earth is just a foretaste of what would happen after we would die. Again, we were created to live with him forever, but as we separated ourselves from God, we would live for eternity, cut off from him, in a kind of ongoing, forever, living sort of death where we are separated from all that is life and hope and joy and peace and goodness and beauty and truth. And the interesting thing about this is that God never stopped loving his creation. That God never stopped loving these people that he formed and fashioned and made in his image. Even in the space of rebellion and greed and damage and destruction and the chaos that poured into our world through our decisions, he never stopped loving us. We are reminded that God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son From before the very beginning, God had the perfect plan to resolve and solve and fix all this catastrophe and this mess that we would create. He would give his very self. The eternal loving Father, by his will, Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and God began to create something new all over again. In her womb, God knit together something that had never been before. The word of God who had spoken everything into existence and was fully and utterly divine now also became fully and completely human in body and soul and spirit, knit together in one unbelievable, mysterious kind of union, Jesus fully and utterly God and fully and completely human. And he came into this world to walk it out and to experience human life with us. Again, the God who spoke all of the stars in the universe into existence, knowing every single one of them by name, every one of them exists only by his glory and for his pleasure, this God with all of that power was born as a helpless child to two young people who were so poor that they had nowhere to place this new baby except in an animal's feeding trough. And Jesus entered into the fullness of what it meant and looked like to experience human life and existence. He knew what it looked like to have a family and friends and to live in meaningful community and to have work that was fulfilling. He understood all of this, but he also knew what it was like to be human in the sense of being betrayed and abandoned and pushed off. He understood what it was like to come to people to save them and redeem them and to bring life and to have those very people push back against him and reject him completely. He knew what it felt like to experience temptation coming in his direction and yet to never, ever give in to sin. He's experienced and tasted all of what it means to be human because he, as an expression of his perfect and divine love, he came to live in us and with us to experience human life and all that that meant and all that that looked like. Philippians chapter 2 describes it this way. Talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Again, he was willing to leave the wonder and the glory that existed around him forever and to enter in becoming nothing. And the love of God knows absolutely no boundaries and no hindrance. There's nothing that he wouldn't do. And so he chose to enter in and to suffer and to die on our behalf. Because as you and I look at the world around us, we realize that somebody has to pay. We know that somebody has to pay for all the evil and the destruction and the harm that we see in our world around us day after day and moment by moment. Somebody's got to pay for all of the murder. Somebody's got to pay for all of the abuse. Someone has to pay for all of the wars and all of the violence. Somebody's got to pay for all of the lies and the deceit. Someone's got to pay for all of the malice and the greed and the horrors that we inflict upon one another and upon ourselves. Somebody's got to pay for all of this mess in order for justice to be done. And the only right and fitting penalty is that someone just has to die. Because the evil of this world is so palpable and it is so horrible and it is so destructive. Somebody's got to pay for this. Again, all of this evil was our choice. But God, in the wonder of who he is and the infinite nature of his love, chose to take our place and to inflict upon himself the punishment that was rightfully due to us. As an expression of the infinite nature of his love, he said, I will take on all of these evils as if they were my very own, and I'll pay for them. And so he entered into this world and he suffered the reality of death, but not just any death. Philippians 2 reminds us it was death on a cross. And the cross was the most horrifying way to die that the Romans could possibly imagine. What they wanted to do is to make sure that nobody would rebel against them. And so they wanted to say, we want a really strong deterrent. We want to terrify anybody who would rise up against the state, so let's concoct the most torturous, destructive way to kill a person that we can possibly imagine, and let's do that to anyone who rises up against the state. And so if you were being crucified, you probably would be beaten, you'd probably be whipped, you'd be flogged, and then you would be paraded through the streets carrying the instruments of your death to be mocked and jeered at or whatever anybody else wanted to do along the way, and then to degrade you and humiliate you as far as is humanly possible. They would take all of your clothes and everything that you have. Your family, all of the possessions that your family owns would also be confiscated and taken and owned by the state so you would die knowing you were leaving your family utterly destitute and completely poor with no means left of their own. And then they would nail your hands and your feet to this, stretching you out so far that you could just barely breathe. And to catch a breath, you'd have to push your feet up against the nails that had just been put through them to push yourself up just enough so that you could catch a breath. And you would hang there for days or hours, slowly suffocating to death until all the strength left your body and there was nothing left that you could do. This is the reality that they would inflict upon you. And then no one was allowed to mourn your death after your passing. And this is the, the death that Jesus took upon himself in our place. And you can imagine the horror and the pain and the agony physically of all that you would go through through this kind of experience. But for Jesus also, there was a whole other side of this. Again, Jesus had never sinned. He had never done anything wrong. He had nothing to be ashamed of. But in those moments as he was suffering and as he was dying, he took upon himself again the full weight of all of our evils. And can you imagine the kind of shame that you would feel 
if every violent act, every moment of greed, every lustful thought, every malicious desire, every wicked thing that anyone and everyone in the world could have ever concocted, if the weight of all of that evil descended upon you and you owned it as if it was all your personal responsibility, can you imagine the weight of the shame, the intensity of the guilt of those moments? And then Jesus, who had lived forever, for all of eternity, in perfect and complete union with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, tasted for a moment the wrath of God as he poured out all of his anger and all of his justice upon Jesus instead of upon us. And for a moment, Jesus tasted what it felt like to be separated from the Father, and he cries out in absolute agony the words from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And the fullness of what God had created, Jesus was fully and completely human, so his sacrifice could apply to humanity. And because he was fully and completely God and infinite, his sacrifice could apply to anybody and everybody who would receive it. This is what the love of God looks like. It knows absolutely no boundaries. There's nothing that God wouldn't have given. There's nothing that God did not give to express the fullness of his love for you and for me. Can you imagine loving someone like that? Could you imagine what it would be like to love someone to the extent that you would be willing to endure all the humiliation and the horror and the pain and the guilt and the agony and the shame of all of this? Could you imagine loving someone so much that you would give your child to suffer this kind of agony, this kind of isolation, this kind of humiliation and pain in order to save someone or some group of people. And can you imagine that someone would love you with that kind of intensity? That someone would love you so utterly and completely that they would walk through every piece of this for you? Again, we might be able to imagine the concept that we might do this for someone that we're really, really close to. We might do this for someone that we love so well, someone that we're in a great relationship with, but could you imagine doing this for someone that you hate? Could you imagine doing this for someone who is actively fighting against you? Could you imagine doing this for someone who would reject that you had ever done this for them? Could you imagine doing this for someone who would ridicule the fact that you would even think about doing this for them? The Apostle Paul reminds us this is exactly what God did. He says to us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still caught in the midst of our sin, while we were still actively fighting against God, pursuing our own way, our own control, our own sense of capacity and fulfillment, while we were still pushing hard and fast against him, he did all of this for us. He did this knowing that so many people all around would never be able to receive the wonder of this. That so many people would mock and ridicule the reality that he had done this. That so many would hate the truth of who he is. This is an overwhelming kind of love. And do you recognize the truth today that this is how God loves you? And he saw you and he fashioned you. He created you in an act of glorious and love and reality. He allowed you to come into this world, but be even beyond that, 
Even when you are at your very worst, when you're engaged in the most shameful things, when you're caught in the most deep elements of destruction that you could possibly know, even when you catch those glimpses of yourself and you are frightened by the capacity of the evil that you are capable of, in all the fullness of that, He loves you like this. This is a unique and a powerful gift. We are reminded that God so loved us that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Again, at Christmas, we get this really interesting gift to celebrate that God gives us the gift of His love. He's already accomplished absolutely everything that is necessary for us to experience life and intimacy and relationship with Him. In His death, we are given this powerful chance to move back to become a part of His family, to again experience a growing and an unhindered intimacy with Him, to experience life that will last not just now but through all of eternity. He invites us back into this kind of life. He's already done all that needs to be done so we can receive it and know it and experience it. All we have to do is decide what we're going to do with this gift of love. And again, for some of us, it's a challenge. Some of us have never known or understood. But to receive this gift, we just begin by believing that this is true, by asking God to forgive us for the brokenness and wrongs in our life and choosing to embrace this life and ongoing intimacy and relationship with Him moving forward as well. And then we are drawn back. We are given authority and dignity as His children. We are loved. We are welcomed. We are forgiven. We are healed. We are restored. We are given a powerful community to belong to in His church. This is the extent of His love for you. But I think that for so many of us, we wrestle and we struggle to believe that we are loved. Again, maybe today you recognize the things in your life that are broken or wrong, the things that are destructive, the moments that you're profoundly ashamed of, and you see all of these things and you cannot believe that someone could really love you with the mess of all of these parts of your life. For others of us, maybe we can believe that God could love the whole world, but we really can't believe that He could love us. Maybe it's hard to receive love because you feel ashamed, or maybe it's hard to receive love because you've been wounded and damaged and hurt by the circumstances and the realities of life. And again, I can certainly empathize. For so many years, I wrestled to believe that I was loved by God. I think overwhelmingly, I just felt like I was a disappointment to Him. And probably, if I'm really honest, I think I probably felt afraid to receive the love of God because I felt like it just seemed too arrogant or too presumptuous. And I was probably deeply afraid that if I really, truly believed that God loved me, He might tell me something different than that. And I would feel even more broken and even more ashamed than I already did. And so I shielded my heart from the love of God. I think that for so many of us, we have gone through so much of our life trying to shield our hearts from the love of God because we feel ashamed or we don't feel worthy or because we feel uncertain about what this will look like. And God led me through a journey with many significant points along the way to be more open to receiving the truth of His love. But one really critical moment for me was years ago as I was working through uh, the book Soul Care, which is actually a course that we teach here as well. And this particular quote just struck me really hard. The author uh, Rob Reamer says, to break free from shame, you have to repent of pride. You have to confess that you have not believed what God has told you about yourself, that you are deeply loved. It is pride to reject God's love because you feel unworthy. Again, I think that last sentence just struck me. It is pride to reject God's love because you feel unworthy. I think that for so many of us, we choose to push off the love of God because we don't feel worthy of it. 
And maybe we feel like we're doing him a favor. Maybe we feel like we're, we're living out some kind of humility by choosing to not really embrace the fullness of the truth that we are overwhelmingly and unconditionally loved by the God of the universe. But the reality is that it is pride to push off his love. I'm saying to God, I think my view of myself is more important than your view of me. That my view of reality is more important than your view of reality. Again, God has already done absolutely everything that possibly could be done to prove to me and to you the truth that he loves us. He formed and he fashioned and he created us as an act of divine love and also as an act of overwhelming and divine love. He chose to suffer a horrendous death and to die for us while we were actively fighting against him. There's nothing else that God could possibly do that would be more convincing of the truth that he loves us. The challenge for us is choose to choose to believe the truth. And maybe we've so often said to ourselves, I just can't accept this because I'm too broken. And then again, we're saying that our view of ourselves is more essential and more real than God's view of us. Or maybe we say, the wrongs in my life are so overwhelming, he could never forgive me. And again, we are saying, my evil is so big that somehow the, the sacrifice of Jesus is not sufficient <laughs> to cover this. Again, God is omnipotent, overwhelmingly powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do. And the sacrifice of Jesus was more than enough to cover all of the evils of all of humanity for all time. Whatever brokenness and evil and wickedness and destruction is in your heart and in mine, he has the capacity to wash it away as real and as awful and as disgusting and terrible as it might be. He has the capacity to set us free and to make us whole because his sacrifice was just enough and more than enough. And if you think about it, if all that I'm looking at is myself, all that I can see are my failures and my flaws and my weakness, and I'm just consumed with the reality of who I am, but if I can lift up my head and see the truth of who God is, it shifts my perspective. And I can recognize the truth that I am loved primarily because of who he is. It's in his very nature and it's in his very essence that he would love us powerfully and unconditionally. He, again, certainly he loves us for who we are, but more than that, he loves us because of who he is, because he's just this kind of God, a God with the capacity to look at us with all that is broken and all that is right and the huge mess of who we are and to pour out his love unconditionally over us and into us and through us. And so the love that he offers to me and to you is secure because it's primarily based on the wonder and the truth of who he is and not on my performance or your performance, not on how we look or what we can accomplish or what other people might think of us. It's based holistically on the wonder of his character. And this is a challenge and a call to receive the love of Jesus, to open this wonderful gift and to engage it powerfully, this passionate love. We have to let go of ourselves. And the view that we know best and that somehow our perspective, our perspective of who we are and the brokenness in our lives, we have to let go of the fact that this is the most essential view in life and receive the truth that God's view is greater and stronger and more powerful and more compelling. It calls us to repent of this self-focus and this pride that is consumed with who we are and to lift our perspective and see that He is God. And because of His nature and character, He loves freely and passionately and unconditionally like we have never known and can barely imagine. As I've been prepping this message, I keep wondering and thinking, 
What would happen if by the time that we got to Christmas, we could experience this love? What would it look like if over the next couple of weeks, we could prepare our hearts to receive this well? How much would your Christmas be different if you could engage with it confident and sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are overwhelmingly loved by God, not based on your performance or what you can accomplish or what you can do, but simply because He is passionate for you? Think of the freedom with which you can engage the space of celebration. But I think I also find it compelling to consider how much more could I love the people around me? How much more free would I be to embrace them, to care for them, to honor them, to bless them, to encourage them, to engage them really well if I was not consumed with myself? If I wasn't trying to make up for something that seems lacking in me? If we could receive this gift and know it with certainty, It would change how we see ourselves. It would change how we see those around us. It would radically change our engagement with the world around us. And this is one of the gifts that Jesus gives us at Christmas and all the way through the year. This powerful reminder that this is how He loves us. And again, maybe a critical point for some of us this morning is that we just need a moment. We just need to let go of the sense of pride, the overwhelming vision of being consumed with ourselves and just say, Jesus, I want your view of me. Would you help me to see how you love me? Would you reshape my perspective? So let's just pray together about that just for a moment. And if this resonates with you, just pray this along with me in your heart. Lord, I turn away from my pride. I choose to believe your view of me is more accurate than mine. Show me who I am to you. Reveal your love to my heart. Amen. And again, this is an ongoing choice to continue to believe this truth. Whenever we feel ashamed or overwhelmed or we question the love of God, all we have to do is go back to this passage and to this truth and remind ourselves, in love God formed and created us. In love He saved us and freed us and redeemed us. There's no boundaries to how far He would go to love you and to walk through life with you. We just need to keep reminding ourselves of that as we walk this through. This morning, I'm also aware that for some of us, this gift of God's love is a present that we have never, ever opened. Maybe we don't yet have a relationship with God through Christ. Maybe we've heard a lot about Jesus and we haven't yet committed our life to Him. Or maybe you've gone through all of your life thinking that what you need to do to have a relationship with God is to just do everything right. And wherever you may find yourself this morning, if you don't yet know Him, I want you to know the truth today, that God is uniquely loving towards you, that whatever your story has been up to this particular moment, He is passionate for you. In love, He formed and created you. In love, He has died for you to redeem you and to set you free so that He could live life with you now and throughout all of eternity. And if you want to begin this journey of life and relationship with Christ, again, it just begins with choosing to believe that this is true. We ask God to forgive us for the brokenness and the wrongs and the evil in our life, and we also offer our life fully to Him. We always want to be upfront about this reality, that there is this cost. We give up control. We reverse the decision that we made back in the garden of saying we want control for ourselves, and we say, God, I'm willing to give you control of my life. I want to live life in relationship with you. And as we do this, we receive something infinitely greater 
than control of our own life. We receive life and intimacy with God that lasts now and throughout all of eternity. And again, if you've got questions about God or what life with Him, a relationship with Him might look like, we'd love to chat with you and talk more and continue to engage with you. But this morning, if you can feel the Spirit of God just guiding, if you recognize this is something that you need, and maybe you fought for a long time, again, just pray these words with me in your heart. God, I want to receive your gift of love. Would you forgive me for all the wrongs that I've done? I want to live every day of my life following you. Would you take my life and fill my life with yours? Amen. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer, it's really, encouraging, it's really important to tell somebody else about it. Again, tell the person who brought you to church today or talk to the people who are up here to pray after the service at the front. Tell them about it. Tell somebody about it so they can rejoice and celebrate with you. And for every single one of us, we want to remember during this season, we're preparing our hearts to receive more of Christ. And today, this is about an ability, a capacity to receive the love of God in a fresh and in a new way. This is about rejecting every lie and everything that's not true, everything that would tell us that we have to be good enough or strong enough or good-looking enough or powerful enough to be able to be loved by God and simply choosing to believe the truth that He says to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love to recognize the reality of His sacrifice for us, that He has already given absolutely everything to make us whole and to express His love to us. You see, the love of God will never fail. The love of God will never give up on us, and He invites us to go further and further with Him. And so as we sing this last song, I just want to encourage you, just make this your response to God, your affirmation of the choice to believe that this is true even when you struggle to believe it.